Good morning. I encourage you to open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. We'll be looking at specifically verses 12 through 14, but uh, we'll also be looking at some earlier verses in the same chapter as well. Before we get there, I'm going to rebuke a fellow elder in front of all of you. I knew that would get your attention. Dave, don't ever apologize for being moved by the gospel. And so, um, praise God that the Lord has saved us the way he has. And um, God is faithful in what he's done for us in Christ. Um, it's good. It's good. Amen. Well, Colossians chapter 3 is our text for today as we continue our series, Life Together. Today we'll be looking at the call for us to forgive one another. Forgive one another. Let's pray together. Father, would you open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to receive your word, to be moved by your word today, by the power of your spirit, for the glory of your name, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Have you ever been wronged? You can respond. Yes. Maybe you were falsely accused, unfairly judged, misunderstood. Maybe you were treated harshly. Someone manipulated you or used you for their advantage. How have you responded to those kinds of times? Certainly all of us have been wronged and sinned against at some point in our lives, maybe this week and maybe even this very day. How do you respond to people that sin against you? How do you, how do you respond to people that wrong you? Is it with anger? Is it with revenge and bitterness? Or maybe do you simply seek to avoid them? Maybe you've been wronged by someone and, and your response to their wrongdoing and their sin against you is simply to avoid them, not to talk to them. Do everything you can to stay away from them. Well, this series that has been focused on our responsibilities as Christians to one another. And as we consider those responsibilities we have to one another, we come to the passage today dealing with the call for us to forgive one another. We know that we are a people God has gathered together by His grace. We know that we have been called out of darkness into light through Jesus Christ. And when God has saved us, He has not saved us in individual isolationism. He's saved us to a community of believers. He's brought us and made us part of the body of Christ. There's beauty in that because we are a community of Christ followers. The only problem with that is that we're all sinners. And there are going to be times when, as sinners, we complicate our relationships with one another. There are going to be times when we treat one another harshly. There are going to be times when you and I manipulate other people for our advantage. There are going to be times when we may falsely accuse someone or misunderstand someone. And there are going to be frictions and, and, and fractions in, in our relationships with one another. And when that happens, we are not called to respond with anger. We are not called to respond with revenge. We are not called to simply avoid one another. We are called to forgive one another. And that is our passage in Colossians chapter 3. We'll begin reading in verse 12. 
Paul writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. You'll notice several things in these verses, but two particular things I want to draw your attention to. Paul's call for us as God's chosen people to bear with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. To bear with one another, to forgive, with one, to forgive each other. Now we talked a few weeks ago about what it means to forbear, what it means to bear with one another. That is more of an attitude that we have towards our fellow believers. This morning, we're going to look at the call to forgive one another, and that is an action. That is something we do to another person and involves, uh, certainly involves two people. So, as we consider our calling to forgive one another, we want to do so, we want to consider several things. We want to consider our responsibility in forgiveness, our practice of forgiveness, and our motives to forgive one another. Responsibility, practice, and our motives. So we're going to walk through those together this morning and hear how God's Word not only calls us to forgive, but how it teaches us to forgive, and how we're to carry that out to the glory of God and for the good of our fellow relationships and brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's look, first of all, at the responsibility of forgiveness. As Christians, we have the responsibility to forgive. We know that we, as Christians, are made new in Christ. There are many things that change. When you hear the gospel and respond to Christ through repentance and faith, you come to Jesus, you're born again, you're made new. There are certain things that change in you when you are made a believer. You're given a new heart, and along with that new heart, you are given new affections, new desires, new attitudes, new behaviors. There's a whole new set of tools that come along with being a Christian. Being a Christian is not simply maintaining the status quo and going to heaven. It is going to heaven while radically being transformed along the way. The new, new mind, a new heart that is given, many things change. And as a sinner that's been forgiven, one of the things that we are called to do, one of the things that we are expected and even compelled to do is forgive others. A couple of things here under our responsibility to forgive. Number one, we need to understand forgiveness is commanded. Forgiveness is commanded. Paul doesn't mince words here. He says, as the Lord has forgiven you, you must forgive. Now, I don't know if, if he like wrote the word must in bold in his Greek manuscript. I don't know if, if he underlined the word must or not, um, you know, and just emphasized it. But, but we see there that, that forgiveness is a command. It's not an option. For you and I to forgive other people, it's not a matter of whether or not we feel like forgiving. We are commanded to forgive. And listen, no matter how bad the situation may be, no matter how much harm someone has done to you, how much damage someone has done to you, irregardless of the situation, we are called to forgive one another. It's a command. Second, 
forgiveness is a characteristic. When we come to Christ, again, we are given a new heart that comes with many new attitudes and behaviors. You see this in chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Let's walk through this, this text. He says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Why? Verse 3, For you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Verse 4 verses, he's saying, listen, if you are a believer, if you've been raised with Christ, you're now to seek the things that are above, you're to seek him, you're to seek his character, not the things on the earth. You're not to continue seeking a man-centered, a earth-centered perspective. He continues. This is how you do this. Verse 5, put to death, therefore, because you've been raised with Christ, Because you've been raised with Christ, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Notice what he says in verse 6. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. We're called to put away this kind of behavior, this kind of attitude, this kind of approach to life because God's wrath will be poured out on such people. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all no matter who you are no matter where you've come from if you are in christ you are a new creation you are given new affections lead to new behaviors you're to put off old behaviors sinful behaviors upon which the wrath of god is coming and now because you've been saved from that wrath you're to put on a new characteristic the way that you talk the way that you react the way that you approach people is different And then he comes in verses 12 through 14 and calls us there as God's chosen people to forgive one another. Friends, one of the marks of whether or not you are truly a Christian is whether or not you are quick to forgive. Don Whitney, in a book he wrote called 10 Questions to Diagnose Your Spiritual Health, a great little book, little small thing. It's a phenomenal read. Ten Questions to Diagnose Your Spiritual Health by Don Whitney. If you don't have that book, grab a copy of it and work through it. And just It's a great tool to do self-examination. One of his chapters in there in helping you do self-examination is, Are You a Quicker Forgiver? One of the marks of whether or not you are truly growing in Christ or whether or not even you are in Christ is your capacity and ability to forgive others. John MacArthur said, an unforgiving Christian is a living contradiction. And as a Christian, you understand the value and the gift of God's grace in your life. As a Christian, you have been pardoned by the grace of God and therefore now should be willing to extend that same grace to others. As a Christian, forgiveness is part of our responsibility. It's a command, it's part of a characteristic of who we are as believers. Number two, I want you to, let's consider the practice of forgiveness. We're going to be quick to forgive others 
or even seek others' forgiveness, I think it's important that we understand what biblical forgiveness looks like. I put that qualifier there, biblical forgiveness, because it is often different than the world's view on forgiveness. I'm going to break it down a bit. First of all, we need to understand, well, yeah, forgiveness is a decision. Forgiveness is a decision. Biblical forgiveness requires an intentional transaction between two people that leads to reconciliation. Let me say that again. Biblical forgiveness requires an intentional transaction between two people, at least, that leads to reconciliation. And so therefore, if it's an intentional transaction, it's a decision, not a mere feeling. Sometimes you will hear things like, well, you can't forgive someone until you feel forgiveness in your heart. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says you must forgive. It doesn't say you must forgive when your feelings lead you to forgive. In fact, I would say most time, you and I don't feel like forgiving someone. It's kind of like going to the dentist and the dentist saying, you need a root canal. I mean, how many of you jump out of your chair excited that you get to have a root canal, right? I can't wait to have a root canal. I mean, we don't, we, very similar, we don't, we don't treat forgiveness that way. We don't, we don't feel like forgiven oftentimes. But you'll be surprised the more you practice forgiveness, the more your feelings will come in line with what you're actually called to do. Don't wait on forgiveness to be a mere feeling. You may never forgive. Forgiveness is a decision. It's a choice that we make to pardon someone who has sinned against us. In fact, it often involves a series of decisions where we begin with seeking God's help in forgiving people. The word forgive actually means to give favor. And we're giving favor to those whose, whose favor is extension of their, our favor to them. It's undeserved and it cannot be earned. When someone has wronged us, We are now giving something back to them that they don't deserve. That's the whole point of forgiveness. So when someone sins, they ultimately create a debt that someone must pay. Obviously, when we think about our sin, our debt is ultimately owed to God. And our debt is so big that we could never pay it off. Yet God has graciously chosen to pay the debt for us. In Colossians chapter 2, Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, we see that so clearly. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Great place to say amen. Amen. It's a beautiful fact. We were dead in our trespasses, under the curse and wrath of God because of our sin. We had legal demands against us that justified our condemnation. We were in such debt we could never pay it off. And God comes along with the blood of Christ and signs that check we could never pay. 
And he says, you're forgiven. It's a beautiful fact, friends. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, this is exactly what God has done for people just like you. If you'd simply realize that you as a sinner have a debt to pay to God that you can never pay back, there's not enough praying, there's not enough Bible reading, there's not enough church attending, there's not enough good works on this planet that you can do to earn favor with God. Your debt will never be paid off on your own. But friend, if you'll simply look to Jesus, when Jesus came, he lived a perfect life, he died on the cross in the place of sinners, and there at the cross, as he shed his blood, he shed his blood to pay off debts. And if you would simply trust in him, trust in what he's done for you through the cross, your debt will be paid in full, forever. It's a free gift to you if you'll simply trust in Jesus. Turn from your sin and trust in Christ. That's the hope that we have. And when someone sins against you, in a sense they create a debt with you. And so as a result, we have a choice to make. We can keep them indebted to us, or we can choose to pardon their debt through forgiveness. Forgiveness is a decision. Number two, forgiveness is conditional. Forgiveness is conditional. This is where so many Christians confuse the therapeutic, psychological approach to forgiveness with biblical forgiveness. When you heard that, some of you were thinking at that moment, I'm about to go to sleep. No, I'm going to stay awake for this because... What do you mean forgiveness is conditional? I mean, it just sounds so right that forgiveness is unconditional. I mean, we've all heard it. We've all probably said it, that we should be unconditional in extending forgiveness. It just sounds right. But what does the Bible say? Look with me at Luke chapter 17, verse 3 and 4. There in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus says this, if your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. What is Jesus saying there? He's saying that if someone sins against you, confront them, rebuke them, call them to account. And if they repent, you are to forgive them. Biblical forgiveness is conditional in the sense that it is dependent upon repentance. True forgiveness cannot take place with only one party. For forgiveness to actually take place, there must be two people willing to come together to be reconciled. In his book by, in this book by Chris Bronze, it's called Unpacking Forgiveness, he, he refers to this as forgiveness being a figurative handshake. He says you cannot shake hands alone. For forgiveness to happen, you need to seek out the offending party, extend your hand, and pray they will offer his or her hand back to you. Friends, if you struggle with that, think about the forgiveness that God extends to you. It's not, condi- it's not unconditional. It's conditioned based upon your repentance. It's conditioned based upon those who repent. He stands ready to forgive, but forgiveness is not extended until we repent and trust in Christ. Think about that. If God forgave us unconditionally, without the condition of us turning from sin to him, then all people would be saved. It would be universalism. 
if God just unconditionally forgave everybody, Jesus died for the world, everybody's forgiven unconditionally, then all of us would be saved. Pardons. Ken Sandy, in his book, The Peacemaker, I think is very helpful in helping us explain this process. He identifies several steps in forgiveness. He, he talks about positional forgiveness and transactional forgiveness. Positional forgiveness is the willingness to forgive, ready on standby to extend forgiveness. In that sense, forgiveness is unconditional. Yes, by all means, you should have a heart and an attitude ready to forgive someone at all times unconditionally. But then he says transactional forgiveness is actually extending forgiveness upon someone's repentance, which is conditional. And for forgiveness to really be full and complete in the biblical sense, it's not something just simply to be offered, it's something to also be received. As a Christian, you should always be ready to extend forgiveness to someone who repents. But you can't actually extend forgiveness until repentance is taken place. So when you talk about these kinds of things, which I think oftentimes the church hears not too often, somebody will say, well, what if someone doesn't repent? What if there's a conflict? What if someone has wronged me or sinned against me and I'm ready to forgive them, but they don't repent? Am I accountable? Well, no, so long as you have sought to reconcile with them. Romans chapter 12, verse 18 says, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. If you have done everything in your power ready to forgive, ready to reconcile, and they refuse, friend, that is not on you. That would be on them. You've done all that you've been required of. Now, that's a whole different story if your attitude is not one of forgiveness. If you're not ready to forgive, if you don't have an attitude willing to forgive, then certainly you have some sin issues that you need to work through as well. So in that sense, forgiveness is conditional. So what does this look like? Let's talk about Bill and Sue. I'm not picking on anybody here. I just picked Bill and Sue. They seem like common names. This is what repentance and forgiveness should not look like. Bill has spoken harshly to Sue. Let's assume they're husband and wife, just for our story. And Bill spoke harshly to her during um, some period of time. Maybe he's a Redskins fan and is having a bad day. And she said something that made him mad, and he spoke harshly to her, which would be about every Sunday. Um, Sorry. Uh, and he says to Sue, I'm sorry I spoke harshly to you. And Sue says, that's okay, Bill. Is that biblical forgiveness? Absolutely not. But that's how most of our conversations go. Why is that? What it should look like is, Bill coming to Sue, I'm sorry, Sue, that I spoke harshly to you. Will you forgive me? Yes, Bill. I forgive you. A transaction has then taken place. A commitment to one another to reconcile has now happened. Friends, if you have wronged someone, maybe you're on the other end, maybe you're the, the, the sinner in this case. All of us are sinners, but you're the one that has wronged someone. You need to address them by going to them, acknowledging your specific sin to them, and asking them to forgive you. Merely saying, I'm sorry, is not sufficient. We have to learn how to communicate the process of forgiveness. 
It's a decision that we make. It's a process that we work through. It's conditioned upon there being acknowledgement and repentance present. Because the, the end goal is number three. Forgiveness leads to reconciliation. The whole point of forgiveness is for two people to be reconciled. There's been a breach in the relationship. There's been sin that's caused a Caused, a, caused this breach in the relationship, and forgiveness needs to be extended so the re- relationship can be restored. Otherwise, forgiveness is meaningless, isn't it? I mean, you try to separate forgiveness from reconciliation, that's, trying, that's like trying to separate fuel from a car engine. The whole point of fuel is to make the engine burn in all of its technical and mechanical ways so that it gets somewhere. So merely to have a tank of fuel over here and an empty engine over here is, is, is worthless. Fuel was made to enable engines to run. So forgiveness is made to bring about reconciliation. It's about removing that wedge between two people so they can have a restored relationship. Now, sure, there will be, there will be those relationships where there's been such wrongdoing, such, such massive wrongdoing and sin that's taken place that for that relationship to be like it used to be, it's, it's, not, it's not going to be like it used to be. But that doesn't mean that forgiveness and reconciliation to some level can't happen. We're not saying that everybody needs to kiss and make up and all things are going to be like they used to be. It may be different, but at least you have sought to reconcile the best you can and extended forgiveness and, and walk through that process of confession. In Matthew chapter 5, we, we, we see Jesus' instructions very very clearly, way back in the, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, beginning in verse 23. He says, so if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come offer your gift. Jesus is in the the process of not just making reconciliation happen between us and God, but as a natural fruit of that reconciliation, we are to be reconciled with one another. Forgiveness is that important step that gets us there. It doesn't just happen on its own out there in isolation. That's the process. The decision, it's conditioned upon repentance, and it leads to reconciliation for biblical forgiveness to truly take place. What about the motive of forgiveness? So we know we're supposed to forgive and we know what it should look like, but what what if we still struggle? I know this is what I'm supposed to do. I know how I'm supposed to do it, but but Pastor, I I still struggle with trying to forgive someone. The pain is too deep. The wounds are too fresh. What will help our hearts move away from bitterness and anger to forgiveness and reconciliation? Notice in Colossians 3 verse 13, Paul says that we're called to be forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. In a very parallel passage in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Our forgiveness is being compared to a forgiveness that we have received. 
through Christ. So two motives that you need to consider in, in your struggles to forgive others. Number one, you need to be reminded that Christ died for your sin. If you are a Christian, you have been forgiven by God through Christ. It's what Paul says. He's encouraging believers to forgive one another based upon the forgiveness that they have received through Christ. As the Lord has forgiven you. So if you're struggling to forgive someone, it may be that, that you're, you're taking your eyes off the forgiveness that you yourself have received in the gospel. And Jesus knew that we would wrestle with this, so he gives us the parable of the unforgiving servant, right? Matthew chapter 18, which is a whole chapter on relationships being restored and forgiveness and sin being confronted and those kinds of things. Matthew 18 and uh, verses 28 through 35, we have this parable called the parable of the unforgiving servant. And in that parable, Jesus tells a story about a king and one of his servants. The servant owed the king a tremendous debt, and he was unable to pay it. And so the king, being kind and gracious, he forgave the debt of the servant. Showed the servant favor, and he forgave the entire debt. And so the servant goes on his way, but it wasn't too long that this same servant found one of his fellow servants who owed him about a day's worth of money, and he, he let him have it. This, we pick up there in that story in verse 28 of Matthew 18. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him. That's what it says. He began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. It was a day's worth of work. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him into prison until the debt should be paid. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. And this is a heavy parable. It's just reminding us of how much we have been forgiven. And when we refuse to extend forgiveness to others, it's an indictment upon what we've received from God. It's as if we're throwing that forgiveness we've received back in God's face. Ken Sandy and the Peacemaker said, Christians are the most forgiven people in the world. Therefore, we should be the most forgiving people in the world. Friends, if you refuse to forgive someone... It can be an indicator that you really don't know the depths and riches of Christ's forgiveness towards you. Christ died for your sin. We are called to forgive others because the Lord has forgiven us. That should be the only motive. But there's a second motive. I would add to that. Not only has Christ died for your sin, Christ has died for others' sin. If the person who has sinned against you is a Christian, their sin has been fully pardoned at the cross. They've been forgiven by Christ. 
And if you're struggling to forgive them, doesn't it say much to you about your own heart and about your own consideration about the cross? And that Christ suffered, bled, and died to cover the very sins, not only of, you, of your sins, but the sins that the person has committed against you. He died to cover that sin as well. So if Jesus has forgiven them, it should speak volumes to us that we ought to do the same. But maybe they're not a Christian. Maybe they, they don't know anything of God's forgiveness, and they're hard to, to, to get along with, and there's a lot of conflict all the time with them. In that case, we should be reminded that this person is alienated from God and still under God's wrath. And if they don't repent and trust in the gospel, they are going to perish eternally for their sin. So your attitude and your willingness to reconcile with them can ultimately be a testimony to the gospel in your life to draw them to the same gospel that saved you. Though very different, the forgiveness you are willing to extend and demonstrate can be a picture of the gospel, and be part of the means that God uses to bring that person to himself. He died for others' sins. Friends, as we strive to live out the one another's as a community of Christ followers, we are going to have to learn to practice forgiveness. It doesn't come easy. It doesn't necessarily come natural to us. Our natural tendency is to be angry, to be bitter, to be resentful, to avoid, to move away from conflict, which is just as sinful as the sin done against us. Friends, people are going to let you down. They will. People are going to let you down. People are going to wrong you. People are going to sin against you. And how you respond to them will make all the difference in the world. Especially within the community of, of believers. Even people in this room, as you get to know other people, as you get to relate to other people, as you get to seek to build community with other people in this room, people in this room are going to fail you. They're going to disappoint you. They're going to discourage you. You're going to say, well, I, th I thought better of them. And so you can either turn away from them, avoid them, be angry, allow the bitterness to grow, or you can move towards them, seeking reconciliation. Maybe you're the offender. Maybe, the one, maybe you're the one that has caused, caused a breach in the relationship. Friend, you should pursue. Admit your guilt. Admit your sin. Last week, Trey talked about how we should confess our sins to one another, especially so when we've sinned against each other. There might be people in this room you've wronged. and Maybe you need to seek their forgiveness today. Maybe you're the one that's been wronged. Maybe you should pray to God that he would give you an attitude ready to extend forgiveness when repentance has happened. Part of being reconciled to God means that we are to be reconciled to one another. I don't know where you have struggles in relationships, whether in this body or beyond this body, but friends, we're called. We're called to love one another. And one of the ways that we love one another is through the way that Christ loved us and gave himself for us that we might be forgiven. Remember, Paul said, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. You and I are the ones called to initiate reconciliation. 
We are called to extend ourselves, to pursue forgiveness. Since the sin people have committed against us, think about this, the sins that you wrestle with in forgiving others, the sins people have committed against us and we've committed against them, it's like a mere swimming pool to, compared to the ocean of debt and sin that we've committed against God. And if God has forgiven us as deep as the ocean, then we can certainly forgive the little swimming pools of sin against one another. He's canceled our debt once and for all. Do you realize the beauty in that? Do you realize that that is the very reason you can stand before God at the end of, at the, end of the day and be counted among the redeemed? Is because Christ died to cancel your debts. Then let us be faithful in our willingness and eagerness to cancel the debts of others. We have been forgiven much, so let us be willing to forgive much. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this truth and reminder of of your grace. Father, what a gracious God you are. What a wonderful hope that we have. What a, what a testimony to your provision as we think about the cross, as we think about the forgiveness that we have because of what you have done. Lord, you've canceled our debt. You've paid our penalty in full. Lord, you have done what we could never do. We want to thank you this morning, Lord, for paying our debt. For setting us free from the law and its legal demands. Lord, you would have been perfectly just in leaving us in our sin and judging us as sinners. But God, in your love and in your grace, you chose to pardon us. And Father, that love has been demonstrated in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Lord, you magnify your love in, in, in that you were willing to send your only Son so that upon Him the judgment would fall, the wrath would be poured out, and sinners would be pardoned. Father, we thank you. And Lord, in our relationships with one another, Lord, it may be that we may have people here today that are wrestling with forgiveness. They've been hurt. They've been wronged. They've been misunderstood. They've been harshly treated. Father, I pray that you would move in their hearts in a way that leads them towards forgiveness. God, would you help us to be a forgiving people? And Lord, when we have wronged others, when we have sinned against others, Lord, would you humble us in such a way that we would be willing to go to them acknowledging our sin for what it is and pleading for their mercy, pleading for their forgiveness, asking to be reconciled. And my prayer is that you would allow these truths to not just be something we give head knowledge to, but Lord, that these would be truths that would fill our hearts that would lead us to relate well to one another for your glory. God, help us to be a forgiving people.
Thank you, Lord, for forgiving us. We pray this in Christ's name.